Well, it's great to be with you all this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 3. If you could get that open in your Bibles and follow along with me as we move through this great text this day. We're going to hear of the healing of the lame beggar and then of Peter's second sermon. That's in Acts chapter 3. So let's take a look at the text. Let's dive right in. Acts 3, our first chunk is verses 1 to 7. In verse 1, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray at 3 p.m. And then in verse 2, we hear of this lame beggar, right? This lame beggar who spent his days at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate, right? This was a gate that was a a symbol of uh, extravagant wealth and prosperity, right? Let's let's put ourselves in the text. This beautiful gate, it's it's decked out, it's, it's extravagant. And we have this lame beggar, this poor man, this crippled man who would lay outside of this gate, at this beautiful gate. And he'd ask alms for those who were of those who were entering into the temple. We see that he was lame from birth, right? He had never walked. He was always carried to this place where he would ask for alms, right? Outside the temple here where he would lay day in and day out, this poor man, this lame man, outside this beautiful gate. Verses three to five, we see that the beggar sees Peter and John approaching and about to go into the temple. And so he asks them to receive alms. Peter then directs his gaze at him, as did John, and says, look at us, right? Look at us, right? This poor man on the ground, this lame beggar. Now think of the scene, and maybe bring this to the, the modern time. It's almost like when we see beggars on the street, there's this flawed human tendency to to look away, right? To look away. But what the apostles do here is they look directly at the beggar, right? Look at us. They look directly at him with the love of Christ. Now, we can learn a thing or two from this, of course. So moving forward in the text, we see the beggar fixed his attention on John and on Peter, Right? He thought, of course, that they might be able to give him some money. Right? That's what he was looking for in this situation. He thought that silver and gold might help his situation. Right? This poor man outside the beautiful gate. And then in verse 6, we hear Peter say, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, verse 7, Peter then took him by the right hand and and raised him up. And immediately, immediately, this beggar's feet and ankles were were made strong, right? Immediately. Now, Now, let's put ourselves in this text. Think of this astonishing scene, right? This poor man, this crippled man outside this beautiful gate asking for alms. Peter and John look at him. Then Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 
Think of this miraculous scene. This beggar raised up, this, he, him made strong. This miracle that we see here off the bat in this chapter of Acts. Now this astonishing scene in scripture, this, this man had never stood, he had never walked, and now he was able. This miracle was remarkable and undeniable what had happened here. Now as we pull out an application to this, as we pull out a spiritual application, whenever we see miracles in the scriptures, there's always a spiritual application that we can pull out. Friends, we too were spiritually lame from birth, right? Crippled in our fallen nature, right? The effects of original sin in the bondage of sin, right? Our, our hearts were broken, right? Not oriented properly. We were broken. Now, sometimes we even thought that maybe worldly silver and gold would fix this brokenness, right? The, the emptiness inside. But then we encountered the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We were met with his grace and mercy through the preaching of the church. And in the name of Jesus, we were made well and are being made well through faith, right? Given a new heart with new affections, that God caused us to be born again and brought us to saving faith, that we too would arise and walk on this way of holiness, right? This narrow way that leads to life. We went from death to life. The crippled faculties of our fallen nature are being made whole through the salvific work of Jesus Christ. Right? We see the spiritual application and how this relates to our salvation in one sense. Now let's keep pushing forward. Verses 8 to 11. Back into the context of the text here. So this beggar is healed in the name of Jesus. And now in verse 8, he leaps up. He, he stands up and he begins to walk. And he enters the temple and praises God. Right, for what's happened to him. He praises God and he enters the temple. Now, I don't want to move too quickly past this point. This beggar has been laying here day in and day out at the beautiful gate. And now he's healed. And now he enters the temple. Right? He's healed and he enters into the temple. Right? He, he moves towards right worship. Right? He moves towards, he, he praises God and walks in to the temple. Right? He, he's no longer living life on the outside. But no, he moves in. He's living a new life with a new direction, right? a, a new trajectory. He's been healed. And now he lives this life oriented towards the presence of God. He walks into the temple, right? Do you see that there? Do you see the image, right? In those days, the temple where God would be worshiped, where God's presence would be found, right? Do you see the imagery? 
Right? He enters into this new way of life. There's a new trajectory. There's a new orientation. His, his heart is oriented towards the place in which God's presence is at the center. Right? He walks into the temple, no longer on the outside. He praises God. He enters into that right worship. Now, Important for us to note just some of the context of this when it comes to the temple. At this point in Acts here, at this point, Christians of Jewish descent were, were still worshiping at the temple, right? This had been standard Jewish practice. And full separation from the temple wouldn't come until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And separation became pretty critical when the Judaizers tried to corrupt the gospel, but in this context, they're still worshiping at the temple. That's what's happening here. But for us, friends, for us, Christ is the temple, and all men are commanded to come to him in order to worship, right? To, to serve and to love the one true God, right? The body of Christ is the temple. And by spiritual union to the body of Christ, we too enter into, enter into and become the temple of God, right? We the church, we who are living stones in Christ Jesus, the corner stone. So before Christ, as we pull out this application from this text, before Christ, we too were looking for wholeness and healing, maybe sometimes in the things of the world, Maybe looking at silver and gold, thinking that would fix our situation. But now being in Christ, we live a new life by faith, right? Where our life revolves around Christ and we walk towards him, right? Just like this beggar who had been healed, walking towards the right worship of God, the praise of God, this new trajectory, walking into the temple, that, that we would have intimacy with Christ, that we would also have this new trajectory, that we, friends, who've been brought from death to life, would no longer live life on the outside, but that through faith in Christ, we are part of his body, and God's presence dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. And so then we, too, live life that's oriented towards Christ as we worship him in spirit and truth. And one day, friends, we will enter the heavenly courts praising God for making us whole. Right? Do you see the imagery that we can pull out of this miracle? He's healed and he enters the temple. Now, verses nine to 11, let's keep trucking along here. So people recognized him, right? This man that was healed, and they saw him walking and leaping and praising God and entering the temple. This was obviously a huge testimony, right? People were filled with wonder and amazement. And we see in the text that this man clung to Peter and John, right? And there, there was a new trajectory for this man that led him to this right worship of God. He, he walked towards the presence of God. He praised God and he was clinging to the church, right? As his new family, right? Clinging to the church. In this miracle, we see all of these truths. Now let's keep pushing here. Verses 12 to 16. 
All right, so this man has been healed. He's rightly praising God. He's having fellowship with the church, symbolized here in the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John. In verses 12 to 16 now, we get into the bulk of Peter's second sermon. So Peter and John and this man and all the people end up in this portico called Solomon's. Basically, this was a porch built by Herod the Great, and this was along the east wall of the temple enclosure. So this is where everyone ends up at this scene. And in verses 12 to 14, Peter makes it clear that it was Jesus who healed this man, right? It was Jesus who healed this man. Jesus, the the suffering and vindicated servant of the Lord, he was the one who healed this man because of his resurrection power, right? It, It wasn't Peter or John. It was Jesus. Friends, this is, of course, a a pattern for the Christian life, right? As we are vessels of Christ's grace and mercy, anything good that we do is ultimately Christ's work in us, right? This is what we see Peter say here. It wasn't him or John. It was Jesus who healed this man. Right, I just keep thinking of the verse. He must increase, I must decrease. This is Christ's work in this healing. May, may he get the glory. We see this in Peter's life and we can apply this to our lives as well. So Peter moves on in the sermon. He appeals to the Old Testament. We've seen this before, right? In his first sermon, he, it's biblical through and through. He shows how the Old Testament and how prophecy and all of God's redemptive work ultimately is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Peter is clear in verse 14 that Jesus is the holy and righteous one. He is the Messiah. This God-man, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who we see as the author of life. We see this here in the text. Verse 15, the author of life. This makes it clear that Jesus is the personal source of life. And this highlights the irony that others killed him, right? You killed the author of life. That's what we hear in verses 12 to 16. So Peter, in his sermon here, he convicts the crowds of their role in putting Jesus to death, right? They killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And the apostles were witnesses of this. And so now, in verse 16, this man who was lame from birth, he has been healed. How? By faith in Jesus' name. We see this here in verse 16. By faith in his name, right? True faith in the name of Jesus. All the people see that this man who they knew has been restored to perfect health. Now, friends, just a quick note on this that's very important. It was our own sin. It was because of our own sin that the author of life was put to death. That that we are responsible for this. Peter convicts them of this, and we too play a role. We are responsible because of our sin, 
And so what do we do with that? Well, we fall on the mercy of the Savior. who said, Father, forgive them. With true faith that, that we too, friends, would be healed and made whole. That our sins would be blotted out. Verse 17 to 23. Verses 17 to 18, Peter knows that the crowds here acted in ignorance. Right? They didn't fully know what they were doing, but ignorance is not an excuse. Right? Peter explains that, that God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this would happen. Right? Everything surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now let us take this as a warning. We, we've got to be in the Bible more. We have to know the scriptures more. Right? Ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance here does not excuse their sin. Now think of it, friends. Think of a, an easy example. You know, say you're in a town that you don't know and you're you know, driving 100 kilometers an hour and then you get pulled over by a cop and he says, well, you were going 100 in a 50 and you claim, well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know that it was a 50. Um, you know, can you let me off the hook? I don't think that, that would go over very well, right? Ignorance is not an excuse. And so in a similar way here, we see Peter tell them, ignorance is not an excuse. But what does this leave open here? Well, there's the possibility, of course, of repentance and forgiveness. So the solution we find in verse 19. In verse 19, repent. Turn around, right? Change your mind that your sins maybe blot it out, right? Change your ways. That's the solution here. In true repentance, right? That we would turn aside in sorrow from our sin, right? That we'd have contrite hearts, right? And that we'd turn to God in faith, right? Turning away from sin and turning to God in faith, right? This is the solution here. And what we note, and this is Peter's second sermon, whenever it comes to apostolic preaching, right, true preaching, we always see this call to repentance and faith, right? This is what we see here in Peter's sermon, right? Repentance and faith, these are key. We must turn from our sin and turn to God, receiving God's forgiveness and removal of our sins, right? Repentance and faith, these are key parts to true saving faith. Right? Key parts to true conversion. Right? Repentance and faith, these are integral. Because honestly, friends, if we think about it, faith without repentance is not true faith. Initial and ongoing repentance, these are marks of true faith. Right? Part of our conversion was this turning away from sin and turning to God and falling on the mercy of God. This was all part of what we call true saving faith, right? Repentance is a key part. And so let us hear this this morning and take stock of our souls daily as we confess our sins and turn to God in faith and be assured of his pardon through the mercy of Christ. Okay, let's keep moving. We're almost coming to a close here. Verses 20 to 23, we hear that the result of this is that there would be times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord. In one sense, this is exactly what's happening in Acts, right? And Peter said before, repent and believe, be baptized, 
and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit that equips believers for ministry, right? This refreshing power of the Spirit poured out on all believers. And then, of course, looking forward, that we as believers are looking forward and we have our hope in Jesus Christ, looking towards the second coming, the restoration of all things, the new heavens and new earth. Again, Peter's clear that God foretold all of this in the Old Testament. And he quotes Moses to show that Christ is the greater Moses. Right? We see this in verse 22 onward. Right? God's beloved son, whom we must listen to. Right? Jesus the Savior, let us do whatever he tells us to. And in verse 23, again, with the apostolic preaching here, we hear a warning. Right, friends, there's only one way to God. There's only one way of salvation. Only one way to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Right, so we see the warning here in verse 23. These are Peter's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. We either believe in Christ truly and trust him for the forgiveness of our sins, which leads to heaven at the end of our days, or we reject him and live forever in the torments of hell. This is the warning here from Peter this day. And so let us fall on the mercy of the Savior, that we will have an unshakable foundation for our life and heaven at the end of our days, that our sins would be blotted out. Verse 24 to 26, as we close. Again, all the prophets have spoken about Jesus. Only one way of salvation, friends. Only one way that our sins would be blotted out through repentant faith in him, right? Only one way, friends, that our broken selves would be made whole, that true joy would be found in this life, in Jesus, heaven at the end of our days through faith, that we would find true refreshment and true restoration in Christ alone, true happiness and true peace. Friends, the world cannot save us, but Jesus can. He's paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and he bore the wrath of God in our place. And we see in verses 24 to 26 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, that through Abraham's offspring, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And we too, friends, are united to Christ by faith. We are part of the family of God, the grace and blessing of God to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, that through faith in Christ, the family of God would be brought into the heavenly promised land, the heavenly pastures awaiting all believers for all eternity. So let us hear Peter's sermon and let us reflect on the healing of the lame beggar as, it, as, it, as we look at our salvation. Let us turn from our sin and wickedness and let us turn to the sinless one, trusting him, the one who's supremely good, the author of life, who died for us and rose from the grave in victory. Friends, feel the joy that you can have this day through Jesus Christ, through faith.
Christ the healer who restores our soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text of scripture. Lord, I pray that it encourages all of us, that it convicts all of us to trust you. Jesus, be with us as we worship you through the rest of our service this day. Equip us as vessels, Lord, of your grace and mercy, that many more would be made well and made whole, Lord, through the work of the gospel in their hearts. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.